Hello out there in Megland. Welcome to another Meg podcast. Um, we have the usual team here today. So we've got Richard Jeffrey Cook, Matt Haywood and myself. Um, this to- topic, this sorry, this topic, this podcast topic is um, quite a big one, actually. So we're going to split it over two podcasts um, to avoid doing a ridiculously long podcast and possibly falling asleep ourselves partway through it. Um, so this podcast will be part one. Part two will follow at some stage. I haven't got a date fixed yet. Number of things in diaries that making that a bit floating, but it will be the next one. And the subject for these this pair, pair of podcasts is the Hundred Years War, which of course lasted a bit longer than a hundred years, but we all know it's as the Hundred Years War. As well as the sheer length of it, um, we're aiming to cover more than just the two headline acts of the Hundred Years War, um, England and France. Um, across the two podcasts, we're all going to, so going to look at some of the other um, nations um, and participants in the Hundred Years War. Um, obviously, um, there's action in Spain, but there's also other other things going on in the British Isles as well. So we'll look to cover those as well. So to tr- try and do a sort of more encompassing thing than just the the English and the French and the, the 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 usual battles that get trotted out at this time. So in this podcast, we're going to follow the usual format. We'll have some history, some lists, talk about that. However, again, because of the sheer range of this and because we don't want to kill Richard, uh, we're going, also going to split the history sort of into two. Um, so Richard will be doing, if you like, the f- first half-ish of the Hundred Years' War in this one. The second part will cover more of it. We're also going to sort of divide the lists up a bit into themes as well. So in this one, we will cover the English and the French. Um, and in the second podcast, we'll cover some of the other um, the other actors in the uh, in the war. So that's the plan. Um, we hope won't be too long a delay between this podcast and the second one in the uh, mini-series but it does depend on diaries and which is and as part of that Richard is flying out to the states to go to Historicon um, in a couple of weeks as well so that's uh, obviously we, we we're not going to ask him to do a podcast while he's also <laughs> flying the Meg flag and hopefully enjoying himself in the States. Um, not not least because I, I don't want to deal with the time difference as much as anything. So maybe that's a selfish one. Anyway, as ever, enough from me. Over to Richard for potted history in his inimitable style, um, where he will give us some great facts, I'm sure. So Richard, over to you. Thank you, Nick. And hello, everyone. So. Hundred Years' War. Um, The starting point I'm going to choose for this history is actually the 1st of February 1328. This was when Isabel, who was the Queen Mother of Edward III and ruler of England at the time, with Roger Mortimer, uh, Earl of March, Um, forced Edward II to abdicate. Now, the significance of Queen Isabel was that she was also the sister of Charles IV, 
who lay dying in France. Um, now, Charles IV had had no children, but his wife was pregnant. And what he decreed was if the child was a boy, then that child would be king. But if the child was a girl, then Philip, Count of Valois, Anjou and Maine would become king of France. So um, if this starts to sound like um, Game of Thrones, then that isn't quite coincidental because the uh, various uh, conflicts of the Middle Ages were certainly an inspiration for George R. R. Martin. Anyway, back to 1328. So uh, as it happens uh, that a girl was born and so uh, in April 1328, Philip, Count of Valois, called an assembly and was proclaimed King of France. English arguments that Isabel should become um, Queen of France uh, were dismissed. Uh, and this was to set the stage for a conflict that was to continue for roughly 119 years. So the 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 basically this is a case where you could have made an argument for um, both uh, the idea that Isabel should have inherited as queen or equally that um, that it didn't make a lot of sense to for Isabel to try and rule France, given that she was also away ruling England. In 1329, it's interesting, Edward III actually swears homage to Philip. So at the time, it was sort of a fait accompli, uh, and Edward had to accept the situation. Uh, it's worth noting that Edward III was actually um, Duke of Guyenne um, in his own right, and that was one of the 12 um, sort of major peers of France. Uh, he was also Count of Ponthieu. Now, in 30, 1330, Edward III actually seizes the throne from his mother, uh, and executes uh, Mortimer for treason. Uh, he gets chopped up into quarters after the usual hanging and drawing. At this point, um, uh, it's worth remembering that Anglo-Norman was still very much the living tongue and the first language of the nobility. Uh, and that was only to change sort of um, with um, possibly Edward's great-grandchildren. So it sh shows that at this time, um, the sort of Anglo-French nobility was very much intermixed. It's worth also um, stating that the, in terms of the importance of the countries, France was very much dominant compared to England. France was a rich country with a population of over 20 million at the time. England probably had a population just under five million. Philip basically commanded the most powerful army in Europe, and England had had frankly had a pretty dismal military record since Bannockburn earlier in this century. And at this time, relations between uh, Edward and Philip were pretty good. Uh, in 1332, the two kings even agreed to go on to crusade together. So you couldn't, can't really say that there was um, uh, huge hostility at that time. However, the basic situation was um, 
going to change. And over the years, Edward became more and more convinced that um, the throne of France had been stolen from him. The other interesting aspect to both countries was that in uh, the kings themselves were both basically broke. Although France, France was very wealthy, its tax system was basically incapable of any raising of raising any funds to pay for huge military commitments. Uh, while while England essentially was not particularly wealthy. Um, in fact, in some years, actually, the income from Guyenne in France actually was greater than the in income of England in its totality. So uh, Guyenne, by the way, of course, is that bit of France in the um, southwest, um, basically from Bordeaux down to Bayonne. Um, so um, the Hundred Years' War arguably starts actually on the 24th of May 1337, when Philip um, declares that the Duchy of Guyenne has been forfeited by Edward. Um, uh, this he, he claims on various grounds, um, some perhaps with a little justification, some entirely spurious. Edward himself responds by um, writing Philip of Valois, who calls himself King of France. So <laughs> at this point, he is making it very clear that he does not regard Philip as the rightful heir to the French crown. And the first three years of the Hundred Years' War basically involves the French attacking Guyenne, uh, French ships raiding the English coast, and English ships retaliating by raiding the French coast. The first invasion by the English actually takes place in 1339, when they invade France from the Low Countries. Um, and it was the first example we have of a chevauchée. And a chevauchée was a raid basically designed to systematically devastate the countryside. Edward had tried this tactic in Scotland, um, and he, we, basically the English were to make an art of it in France over the following years. Um, basically, what Edward was doing with his first chevauchée was hoping that he would force the French to attack him when he was in a strong defensive position. Again, this was the tactic uh, perfected against the Scots using the combination of men-at-arms and longbowmen. And the, I mean, it's probably hard to understate how devastating these chevauchées were. Um, the aim was to basically burn every village you came across, loot every monastery, uh, abbey, whatever, uh, and basically kill anybody you could catch. And that, even in medieval times, was quite a vicious uh, form of warfare, certainly a long way from the chivalry that we think of with um, the me medieval feudal system. So um, the war carries on for the next six years. Uh, Edward basically spends most of the time trying to raise funds for an army and then struggling against setbacks and then seeking out allies 
um, a good example was the, uh, the um, getting allies with the Duke of Brittany, who, who had um, various um, uh, conflicts against uh, Valois and his allies. So in July 1346, the English land in Normandy and start a chevauchet aiming for Paris, where the French king was raising a huge army. When he sort of gets near to Paris, um, Edward then decides he needs to head north and the French army heads off in pursuit. Uh, after getting very worried when he nearly got caught out crossing the River Somme, uh, he actually gets over the Somme and has a clear route back to um, Calais and the Low Countries. And it is um, there that he, near Cressy, he actually prepares a defensive position and awaits the French. You, you can guess what's going to happen next. Um, the French army probably at this stage outnumbers the English uh, three to one. Um, however, um, it's certainly better equipped. Uh, however, it is not a coherent force, I think it's fair to say. Um, Philip basically loses control of the army and piecemeal they rashly advance apparently claiming we will ride down this rabble who block our advance. Philip himself actually wanted to camp for the night and the French attack starts uh, just a bit before sunset. And it then goes on actually for four or five hours. It was basically dark by the time the whole battle came to an end. The French apparently charged 15 times. I think that's recorded in Froissart one of the main sources for history of this time. Um, and essentially, um, the English um, hold out and do the huge damage that we are we associated with Cressy. The English themselves actually didn't realise the extent of their victory until the following day, which gives you some idea of the confusion that occurred over the darkness. Actually, at the end of it, over 1,500 French lords and knights had been killed, which is, was very substantial. And it, it was an absolutely shattering blow to French confidence. However, Edward himself is really unable to exploit this victory. And he actually retires back to begin what becomes actually a gruelling siege of the city of Calais. That goes on over the winter, with both sides suffering. Um, there's a lot of um, illness around um, from the conditions of the siege. Um, and in 1347, Philip himself actually brings up an army to try and relieve Calais. Um, but the French morale was so poor that the king didn't actually dare attack the English siege fortifications. And he actually retires back towards Paris. At that point, the um, burghers of Calais basically uh, curse um, Philip and have to accept that um, they um, can't withstand the siege anymore and they surrender. Um, there's the famous story of the six burghers who originally um, Edward basically wanted to kill the whole town. 
um, but to actually agrees to as long as they submit six rich burgers, he'll let the other townspeople go. And then it's actually the queen who pleads for the six burgers to um, keep their lives. But the whole town uh, town's population was expelled and repopulated by English colonists. Um, and in fact, for the next two centuries, Calais would remain part of the Diocese of Canterbury, i.e. English territory. I didn't know it was attached to Canterbury. That's really interesting. Yeah, then hostilities would probably have continued um, as viciously, but in 1348, the Black Death arrives. Uh, bubonic, bubonic plague that hits first France and then England. Uh, about a third of the population dies. I think it's it's very hard, even after COVID, to get your head around how devastating uh, bubonic plague was at that time. Philip actually uh, dies in uh, 1350. And although he's actually remembered for his defeat at Cressy, Philip actually left France greater than he had inherited it. Um, he negotiated um, a treaty to acquire Dauphine, uh, which is where we get the idea of the Dauphin. Um, so that, and that actually extended France right down to the Alps for the first time. He also, um, uh, for example, negotiated from the King of New Yorker um, to um, hold the city of Montpellier on the French coast. So, um, yes, yeah, so um, far from being an unsuccessful king, he actually did a pretty good job, uh, but he is sadly remembered for the defeat at Cressy. The next sort of major campaign then um, doesn't occur until 1355. And this is when the Black Prince, who um, was the uh, eldest son of Edward III, uh, leads a chevrochet from Guyenne um, and right through Languedoc, uh, actually devastating most of it almost until, until the city of Montpellier. So that's a huge swathe of territory. And the French actually are unable to respond to that. Um, and so in August 1356, he sets out on another shape. Chevrochet, this one aiming first going east through Limousin and Berry and then northwards. Um, his intention was to link up with an another English force that was coming down from Brittany, um, but they that force actually got scared off. And in fact, um, the Black Prince actually has no intention of fighting the main French army. Um, he's just trying to do his, uh, gather as much loot and do as much damage as possible. Um, when he's actually near Tours, he actually hears that the main French army um, has sort of almost reached him and he starts to head south as quickly as possible, aiming back for the safety of Bordeaux. However, um, the King John, who had inherited the throne from Philip, he has actually outflanked Edward, and um, reaches Poitiers first. Again, the English 
they're actually probably in a worse situation than Cressy, um, but all they can do is actually hold a strong defensive position, which they do just outside Poitiers. But probably fortunately, fortunately for the Black Prince, um, the French king has arrived, the army has arrived on a Sunday and the French king was quite religious and was persuaded to try and negotiate a settlement because it was a Sunday. Unfortunately, King John would do settlement for nothing less than unconditional surrender, which the Black Prince wasn't prepared to accept. So um, the following morning, the English actually tried to slip away. Um, and this sort of forces the French king to attack before his army was actually properly drawn up. As soon as the French start to attack, the English know that they actually have to fight. But they have a good defensive position. Uh, they're amongst hedges. Their flanks are reasonably well protected. The first attack itself was led by two mounted companies. These were followed by a um, array of German knights, mounted knights and footmen. Um, and this attack, uh, the English fight off, but it, it's, it's a hard fought contest and um, it wears down the English. Um, the second attack uh, was led, uh, was a division led by the Dauphin. Um, it was repulsed, but basically by this time, all but a tiny reserve of the English army has been committed to the fight. Um, the third division was led by the Duke of Orléans. Uh, he was brother of um, the French king, um, but for, for reasons which are not entirely clear, he doesn't attack, but actually withdraws on seeing the um, Dauphin's division uh, being repulsed. So he basically seems to have lost his nerve and decided to get out of there. So this leaves a final attack by um, 6,000 dismounted French men-at-arms led by the king himself. Um, and this force is met by everything the English have left, including all its reserves. Um, the archers run out of arrows during this fight. Um, and basically have to join in uh, with the melee. Um, what seems to have turned the day was 16, 60 English men-at-arms who actually found a hollow um, that led behind the French line. And they uh, suddenly appear from this hollow and the French suddenly thinking there are more English on their way, basically flee the battlefield. And King John, who probably was braver than his um, common sense should have said, basically with his with his um, prince, the heir to the throne, are basically uh, suddenly find themselves fighting alone, are surrounded, and are captured. In fact, French losses at Poitiers amount probably to nearly two and a half thousand men at arms. And at least as many French were also captured by a force that, quite frankly, um, I mean, we, you get accounts of archers capturing four or five prisoners each. 
Um, so the number of prisoners was so huge, it threatened actually to outnumber the English army. The ransoming of prisoners was a very lucrative exercise at this time, and it raised huge funds for English troops. So um, the English now find themselves holding um, the French king, who actually gets taken over to England. The result of the battle is that in France, central government collapses and there's complete chaos. You have basically bands of soldiers of all nationalities, including French, controlling large, large parts of the countryside and basically exploiting um, peasants and um, sort of extorting money from towns and all the um, chaos that ensued. In January 1358, the first Treaty of London is negotiated um, and this seeds basically Guyenne, Limousin, Poitou, Saint-Anage, Pontieu and other areas to full sovereignty of the English. That is about basically the French king has conceded at least one third of French territory to the English king. However, Edward decided that that wasn't going to be enough. So having agreed that, he then demands on top of this Anjou, Maine and Normandy. This probably was never going to be a reasonable demand and it's just a basic excuse to continue the war. And in October 1358, uh, Edward III arrives in France himself and on, in November he sets out from Calais, basically with the idea of marching to Rheims, where traditionally the King of France is crowned. So basically he's saying he wants to become King of France. Um, sadly for him, the French were warned and he was unable to actually take the city of Rheims. And eventually, in October 1360, the Treaty of Brittany is uh, agreed and basically on the same terms as the first Treaty of London. And it, essentially over the winter of 1361 and 1362, the territory agreed. Uh, was transferred into English control. And, and at this point, uh, we'll end our first part of the um, history of the Hundred Years War. Thank you very much, Richard. <laughs> I'm very impressed by the specific dates in that. <laughs> we, a lot of these bits of history we do in these podcasts, this, the, the dates aren't so specific for, yeah. Probably aren't known in a lot of the cases. But, you know, so. Well, with with the medieval sources, the history becomes a bit more um, precise. Well, one thing I mean, you, you mentioned the the English tactic there of uh, the or strategy of, of the chevauchee and and you know the sort of brutal raiding on a, on a massive scale across France. It reminded me of um, um, there's there's a quote attributed to Henry V. Of course, it's a bit later, but you know the, the English carried on using the tactic. Um, yeah, which I think I think he, he must have been must be questioned about you know the propriety or whether whether the brutality was of the chevauchees, especially the burning of villages. And he's supposed to have said something effective that war without fire is like sausage without mustard. <laughs> so just it's what you do. Yeah, I I think 
as I say, the, the Chebuchet was brutal even by the standards of medieval warfare. Um, it, I mean, it, the English are accused of uh, raping nuns. Um, I think the king himself actually forbade that, but I think he couldn't actually control the troops. Um, and certainly they stripped abbeys of their wealth and other things which um, wouldn't make you exactly um, popular with the papacy as well, but we'll come up onto the papacy oh. <laughs> in our second yeah. part of the and history. The, and again, just sort of thinking sort of forward in time, I know Henry VIII, sorry, not Henry VIII, Henry V um, published quite strict ordinances for his army, which to try and mitigate some of that. I think didn't didn't he didn't Henry V end up hanging a soldier who had stolen something from a church? I think you may well be yeah. correct in that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But I think he was just taking the edge off what as you say is a, a a pretty brutal and horrible way to wage war. Not that war's nice at the best of times. Anyway, anyway, thank you, Richard. Thank you for that. So set up with with, with two of the, the very famous battles from the from the Hundred Years' War. Um, and of course, you know, this might be a nationalistic there, we end on a high note for the English. You know, of course, you know, with full hindsight, we know it doesn't carry on quite that well the rest of the war. Um, it's a bit like the English cricket team. We always overreach. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah. So is, 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 is the English Chevrolet the equivalent of the current English cricket team basball approach? <laughs> Discuss. <laughs> Sorry. And Couldn't I'm sure if we've got one. any Australian bag players who listen to us, I'm sure they'll, 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 they'll express some, something quite in a usual forthright manner about that. Um, <laughs> anyway, at the time we speak, there the Australians are two 0 up in the Ashes, and God knows what's going to happen in the second one, the third one. Sorry, she's just underway. Anyway, moving on. Let's move on. Stick with stick with Meg rather than cricket for a change, um, and we'll move on to some army lists. So I think we would start with Matt, who has, um, I believe, produced us a couple of Hundred Years' War French that fit into the time period Richard has just been discussing maybe even inspired by those two big battles. Um, so I think we'll pass it over to you, Matt, and you can uh, unleash your lists upon us. Um, I don't know if you want to make any comments about the actual Hundred Years' War French list in Meg, or just dive straight into your lists. Over to you anyway. Right. Well, yeah, the quick, quick rundown of the um, Hundred Years' War French list. It's pretty much what you'd expect. It's a lot of knights, which are either mounted or dismounted, depending on the date period you're in. Um, they've got some supporting um, lesser armed cavalry in the Valet de Guerre. Servants of War, is that what that translates as? Uh, essentially, I think so, yeah, roughly. Yeah. Um, and then it's, it's a mob of crossbowmen, an assortment of average foot to really quite horrible foot armed with spears and short spears and pole arms and uh, yeah, stuff that you know the french aren't that interested in at this period um 
the list also includes from 1418 a Scottish contingent. This, this post dates the lists I've done. I've kept it within um, Richard's time frame. So, um, which um, adds some power bow into the mix and some Scottish um, men at arms. Um, it's a different flavour. I definitely think it would add to a list, but I, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself on that one. So, I've done one for 1346, which is Cressy. Um, <clears throat> I'm not going to say I'm inspired by the battle when I wrote this list, but it possibly might have influenced my thinking, which you start with a <laughs> I'm starting with a, a mediocre instinctive king of France. Uh, <laughs> that's your army commander. Um, yeah. Well, Richard said he lost control of his army, so well, yeah, I'm, I'm almost tempted to ask, could I have all allied generals? Because it just kind of would fit the feel even better. Save me some points as well, actually. Thank you. Anyway, sorry. And then I've got three competent, instinctive sub-generals. Like, I figured nobody shine, sh shone on the day, so they can all be the same. And four mediocres was just too low on the command cards for me. So so it's <laughs> three, three competents and a mediocre, giving you 11, which probably is still not enough, but might give you a good feel of how the army doesn't handle anyway so <laughs> uh, um that that gives you a stonking pbs of four and a scouting of two because there's almost no um uh, light cavalry or or protected cavalry and your skirmishes are limited to some crossbowmen and some bidets um so the list itself you have uh, french knights who are cavalry formed loose superior fully armored Charging Lancer, Dev Charger. They have an option for Melee Expert, which I've taken, which has given me four tugs, two of six, two of four. So, you know, around 20 French superior knights. I think that kind of justifiably covers the, the Cressy um, mounted wing. Feels uh, very French. Yeah, yeah. I, and I have to say, I do like heavy metal, but. Anybody who's seen my cataract lists knows that. All my Venetians in the hundred years in, in the Italian wars. But, uh, anyway, so uh, and then the rest of the army, which is a further five tugs, is basically missile troops. Now I've gone with two blocks of French crossbowmen who are infantry formed loose, average protected, experienced crossbow. Two blocks of eight. I've then taken the Genoese crossbowmen or mercenary crossbowmen, depending on your desires uh, are infantry drilled loose average protected experienced crossbow shoot and cover uh, sorry shield cover and shoot um which basically allows them to shoot and retain the shield cover a handy little trick when facing power bow i think well any skill bows probably the it's the power bow is not the issue it's the skill bow more but anyway um and then a final french longbowman which are formed loose, average, protected, experienced, power bow, six. So that's three missile troops in six, two of eights. Uh, and then there's two blocks of skirmishers, which are the previously mentioned B-Days and skirmishing crossbowmen. Uh, B-Days are skirmishers, poor, unprotected, experienced, javelin, combat shy, six. Uh, skirmishing crossbowmen are infantry skirmisher, poor, unprotected, experienced, crossbow, combat shy, another six. Uh, they're both poor because I just... I'd, I'd have preferred average, but I just couldn't get them into the points range uh, without playing around with the tugs, which uh, wasn't where I wanted to be headed. Um, 
that's essentially it. Um, command and control is probably a bit of a nightmare. I'm figuring you work all the crossbone together in a big, or, or sorry, all the missile troops in a big block. Um, use the two skirmishing blocks to actually form holes in those lines. So, so you know, two tugs, a sug, two tugs, a sug, and then a tug on the end. And behind those sugs of missile troops, you position the two blocks of four French knights. Gives you a bit of um, protection for the French uh, uh, missile troops. And um, do something really unsubtle, like march straight up the table and shoot at a lot of people. And anybody who gets too keen, unleash 20 units of superior knight, uh, 20 um, bases of superior knights on them and see what mess you can make. And there were a lot of rough going troops there. So, I mean, if you want to counter the French knights and put down rough, you've still got to fight your way. Uh, sorry, what I should have said was I've made none of the missile troops combat shy. So they're all protected and that's it. They, they've got no negatives in combat unless you catch them in the open when mounted, but then you're firing into the face of crossbowmen. So, you know, swings and roundabouts. Um, I have a great deal of respect for crossbowmen that aren't combat shy. The damn things can hold up some pretty good quality troops for a very long time. And whilst you're slowly cutting your way through the foot, you've then got a lot of knights to worry about. So there you go. Anyway, that's the list. Yeah, straightforward. Yeah, just on those crossbowmen, of course, you know, if they're sitting there and charged, they get the wound on S. So, you know, anything charging them is, is more vulnerable in that final charge. So, yeah. Um, I can honestly say I do not think I've ever seen an army with a PBS of four before. No, I was quite impressed by that myself, <laughs> I have to admit. <laughs> so, yes. In some ways, I was surprised it got a scouting of two. <laughs> I had to struggle for that. I had to struggle, but I had to take those two units of skirmishers. Oh, right. That's, uh, that's why they're two. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it does what it says on the tin, doesn't it? It's, it, ain't, it ain't big, it ain't subtle. Oddly, I'm not sure it's undercommanded because awesome. it's quite straightforward. Yeah. I've used um, a sort of missile and knights-ish thing with my Edward the Fourth Army with eleven cards before. It seems to work. In fact, in fact, I've used eleven card armies a few times recently, and I think you know, I think you, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of coming around to the idea that they're not bad really, as long as you had a bit of a think about it beforehand and basically don't try and be too clever <laughs> everywhere <laughs> it'd be very hard for me to try and dance with this army i'll probably give it a go but no it really is a line them up and thump somebody or shoot them a lot yeah i mean you've got the two genoese are drilled so they could yeah. potentially do something a bit clever in the right situation but apart from that not a lot of cleverness there, but uh, you know the, the, those French knights have got a big punch, and they're entirely superior, fully armoured. No, you know none of the protected second rank that you get in things like the Crusader armies. So you know there's, there's no oh I've lost the base out the front rank. Oh you're into something squishy. You're just into more of the good stuff. Yeah, I mean I, I, it's not my sort of army, but I could see it being quite scary in the right circumstances richard I mean, oh sorry yeah. no no i was, just, I was funny i was gonna ask rich richard what he thought yeah it's 
He's not convinced, it's, is he, Matt? I'm I'm not <laughs> convinced it's an army I would wish to use, but um it's I mean these superior knights are a force to be reckoned with. It has to be said. And you could lose control and run down your own crossbowmen, which would be a very French thing to do with those knights. Um, but uh, um, yeah, I, I mean, uh, I, I, um, I must admit, I tended to go more a Poitiers sort of hundred years or French army than the this Funny you should say that sort of crazy one. So. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll take a look at that instead. Yeah. Before yeah. before we do that, can I just pick up a, a couple of things, sort of list things, really. Um, one 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 is the the fact that the the French list at this date has got some longbowmen, which I admire most about, but I wouldn't ever claim to be an expert on medieval French armies. <laughs> I I don't know whether there ought to be a date restriction in there. Um, obviously, they come in later when you get to certainly the ordinance French, and maybe maybe the late, you know. But yeah, just this made me go, oh, didn't really, quite frankly, I didn't even know they were in the list. So <laughs> I, I um, they the certainly period. occur later on in the Hundred Years' War. Mm. Um, the French start adopting. They they may have used some uh, low countries longbowmen even uh, in the early stage of the war. That's that that would be the source, I suspect, of any French longbowmen at that time. But I must admit, I um, I would have to do more research to be honest. Yeah, no, it, it was just a, a bit of a surprise, really, rather than, rather than anything. It could be perfectly. The, the other one was um, Matt's almost throwaway comment about, you know, the you know, French losing control of the army, whether internal allied generals perhaps um, be a thing. The, the allies are generally, if you've got a reliability issue perhaps um it's i think almost... basically if you join the king of france in a french army then you would certainly be a reliable maybe maybe it's a scenario thing rather than mm. a, um I mean, sorry i was going to say the other option is maybe for this period all commanders must command knights don't make them allied generals but they must command knights I don't know how structured their forces were, because then that does give you the command and control issues. Because that list that I've designed there, I would expect two of the competent commanders to be commanding just the foot and not the knights, or maybe you know. Yeah, I I think the 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 Hundred Years' War armies, I think, are difficult to represent in lists. Um, this was something I was going to come on to. Uh, when discussing my army, but maybe we discuss it now. Um, and the the whole command structure of battles in in medieval armies um, isn't always well represented in the lists. Uh, maybe this is an example. Um, I think it would become very difficult army to use 
um, in competition if you had to take allies. But um, certainly for scenario games, um, um, there's, there's lots of opportunities for tweaking about with command structures. Yeah, I mean, the, the, there, there's, there is a tension, isn't there? We feel, you know, the lists are designed for these equal points, pick up competition type games. So you want to keep them reasonably usable. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure lots Indeed. of people out there will say, what, what about such and such an army? I think it's unusable. Well, <laughs> that's often a matter of opinion. <laughs> Or we do play a skill, dare we say. Well, to be fair, I think I've hampered it enough. It probably doesn't need allied generals to make it any more. <laughs> pre-hampered. Yes. Okie dokie. Matt, you, just, you, you, you have a second one of these that you have just hinted might be a bit later. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> have yes, some differences. Not, not, not grossly that different, but yes, this is, this is the Poitiers version. So... Um, Sydney okay, or so otherwise. This is, in list Sorry. terms, this is sort of the the army after the shock of Cressy, isn't it? When yes, you know, when Richard said fifteen hundred lords and knights are killed, which is is an astonishing number, um, quite frankly, <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm, it would undoubtedly be a shock. So that the French did change their ways a little. Um, so I'll let you uh, go through your army and maybe explain what the how this Absolutely. demonstrates they changed their ways. Well, they may have changed their ways. I'm not sure I changed my list structure too much. But uh, anyway, um, it, this this list probably represents what Richard described as the the the, the last battle of the uh, uh, as in the last phase of Poitiers. Uh, so um, so it's 1356. Uh, the command structure is pretty similar. This time, the, I've upgraded King John to be competent and instinctive. So it's four competent and instinctive generals. Um, surprisingly, in doing that, he, he now has a PBS of five. You know, I'm moving up in the world, but the scouting has dropped to one. <clears throat> so, you know. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. <laughs> absolutely. He's really blundered straight in. Well, actually, the English blundered into him. But, you know, obviously that uh, day of rest on the Sunday is just, you know, mucked up his scouting so right so um what, what what has stayed the same well i've kept all the french crossbowmen and all the genoese crossbowmen so you've got the two blocks of eight french crossbowmen and the two blocks of six genoese crossbowmen so that's four four tugs you've still got a single block of mounted french knights a block of four so they're the formed loose superior fully armored charging lancers dev chargers melee expert all the other mounted and the french longbowmen have gone and they've been replaced with four tugs of dismounted french knights uh, of which you have two blocks of eight who are formed close average fully armored two-handed cut and crush dismountable melee expert so pretty much full fat short of being superior they you know so they, they, they've got all the bells and whistles You've then got two blocks of six, but they lose melee expert. Now, the thinking behind that is they operate with a crossbowman, so they're probably going to be deep. I'm not that worried about them having melee expert. They're just there to 
counter charge or basically stop people contacting the crossbowmen. So it's not a list I'm overly keen on, having written it, I have to admit. I prefer the mounted version um, because this one really does. You stick it on the table and you're going forward and you really don't have much in in the way of altering your plans. So, so all in all, it's nine tugs, so it breaks on five. Uh, four lots of dismounted knights, one mounted reserve of four French knights, two blocks of crossbowmen, two blocks of Genoese crossbowmen. Oh, and uh, the bidet skirmishers, which gives you ten for deployment in total. There you have it. Nightmare to fight frontally. Yeah, I'd worry about its flanks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Even more than the last one, as you say. Yes. I do like the two eights. Eights are dismounted. Oh, I, I've used they, they, them. They, they could be pretty terrifying, quite frankly. Oh, they, they are just so difficult. To, they grind through everything. I've seen... I think it was Ray's stood up against exceptional Roman legionaries. It's totally out of period, obviously, but mm. I just stood there, <laughs> you know, just because because I think they were on even factors, crazily enough, because of the fully armoured. Yeah, yeah, was that a free company army he was using? I think so. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think they they I think are even superior, aren't they? Yes, I think they can be actually. Now so I mean, I think they they're even tougher, but. Um, don't think the superior ones can have melee experts. No, I'd, I'd hope which not. Which would just but... be absolutely horrific. <laughs> yeah, you can have some that are superior, but not melee experts. They're better in the impact phase, but the same in... Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. exceptional yeah. legionaries would be on a three, two for exceptional. Yeah. For they, that, I mean, that would be, yeah, horrendously three. expensive, though, as well. <laughs> Well, yes, yeah. well, a mere 193 points each. Yeah. Well, true, true. You know, these dismounted French knights are, you know, a bargain, 167. Yeah. Um, I think you forgot to mention, actually, Matt, they're all dismountable. Oh, sorry. Did I, did I not? Yes, they're I think, all dismountable. Yeah. yeah. yeah which um, I believe I'm not, is mandatory. <laughs> I'm not yes. convinced dismountable is actually worth it, but in. Um, but uh, it, it, it is mandatory, though. Oh, it is, however, <laughs> mandatory. So, yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah I, I have no choice. Though, though I, I, I do wonder if there would ever be a game where doubling, what, so what, eight, eight, 16, 24 fully armoured foot, 10 inches up the table in the first turn, scare the hell out of somebody. <laughs> <laughs> It could, Probably yeah. the player commanding them, I would imagine. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah. I, I have a horrible feeling, Matt, that those French knights, the actual mounted ones, should have dismountable as well. Um, I thought it was... Oh, you are quite right. Yes, they should. Yeah, well, there you go. I should point out, listeners, that just before we came, we came, started recording this, uh, an army I'll be presenting later, Matt had spotted a much bigger error in my list than that. <laughs> so perhaps that was me getting my own back a little. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure um, you can play around to get to to sort it out, though. So, the so. B days go to unskilled, I think, and it's be, be, be something like that. Cause you only got four, yeah. but yeah, but. Yeah, it's again. Now I have to say, it's um, it's not an army I'd be 
terribly excited about using. Um, but I, I suspect both both of these French ones um, would fit very well in a, in, a, in a quite tightly themed competition, a hundred years war theme competition. Yeah, you know, because yeah, yeah. you, you you're taking out lots of dancey type stuff, Eastern European or even further east. You know, so so the flanks may be not quite as vulnerable, or you know, or you're bit, at least everybody be wanting to fight over similar terrain, perhaps. Yeah, it certainly it, it doesn't inspire me as an army I want to rush out and paint. Well, actually, that's not true. The, the, the early one with all the mounted does inspire me to want to paint it. Use <laughs> it, not so much. Paint it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you want to get to town on heraldry, do you? Yeah, I, I, yes, I, I tend to tend to have that habit of, oh, I'll just do all the individual heraldry. I mean, yeah. I still have nightmares about my early Burgundian when I did um, all the heraldry for that. And, yeah, let's not go there. Still, <laughs> still a therapy session in the making, that one. But no, okay, no. I'll, I'll ask, ask a question based on, again, a, a comment you made um, with your first list. Um, you, 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 you noted that the Hundred Years War French list um, for the, the later, a later part of the war, which is actually 1418 to 1429, um, can have a Scottish contingent. Um, which you hadn't, you you didn't take because you wanted to theme these these two armies around Cressy and Poitiers. Um, do you know? Do you think that Scottish contingent makes the Hundred Years' War a better or at least more interesting army if you took it? I, I have a feeling the drilled close Scottish men at arms, eight of those, it just gives you a slightly bit more manoeuvrability. The, the the ability to, for example, turn left or right and still double move because mm. um, you're doing it on a green um, and the power bow, which again gives you a bit more flank protection from mounted. I mean, not saying that crossbowmen are bad for it, but the, the extra inch, the extra uh, sorry base width on power bow and the plus one for fighting mounted makes whatever flank they're on just untenable for mounted unless they're feeling really really brave uh, um, and that doesn't always end well yeah so we... I, I, I just feel it's a bit more flexible it adds i don't think what you're taking out of the army to put them in are no great loss because they're same for same so the men at arms for men at arms dismounted yeah. uh you probably lose I, I, i'd almost be you lose one block of the French and one block of the Genoese will probably allow you the power bow. I haven't quite worked the points out for that. But, um, um, yeah, no, yeah. So it's, it's going to be broadly similar, isn't it? Yeah, so 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 you get get it get it that way. So yeah, I, I think it adds. Um, not that I've played around with it that much. Uh, that would probably make me happier about taking it to a competition, uh, even in a especially in a narrower theme. Yeah. Yeah, Richard, any? Um, yeah, I mean, the Hundred Years War French um, this army is what I would sort of expect, I think. Um, I have tried playing with it in the past. I, I probably had fewer missile men. Um, and I've I've tended to come unstuck with it. 
Um, it, it's the the flanks are always a bit of a worry. Um, but uh, yeah, it is what it is. And as we've said, the dismounted knights are uh, are quite fearsome, fully armoured, two handed cut and crush from male expert is a powerful combination once again to get past the initial impact phase. Um, yeah, the, the impact phase can be a problem against good charging cavalry. Yep. Um, but or, you... Or, or you can get lucky and the charging lancers don't do don't do their thing as I was fortunate enough to experience early, earlier this year in the Magna competition. Yeah, if they, if they, if they don't, you know, if you can, certainly if you can limit the number of bases that are contacted um, and they don't roll something to get the shatter, the, you know, then, then, you know, with the fully, fully armoured, two-handed cut and crush and melee expert, that's four claims. And if yep. the, and if the, uh, if you're fighting somebody that's got fully armoured, well, that doesn't count against Tony Cut and Crush. <laughs> so the, the opponent loses that claim. So yeah, it, the the melee phase can be very very nasty. Yeah, sad, sadly, my opponent ran down one of my longbowmen who managed the double blank on the shooting in the same <laughs> battle. <laughs> yeah. So swings and roundabouts. Yeah, as, as I'm sure we, we we might comment on with the English armies, the longbowmen. Mm, yeah, the you know, did that, that thing Matt mentioned about, you know, they can be quite a good flank guard. The extended range and the plus for shooting at mounted doesn't always work. And I think uh, if the opponent can, again, get some good charging or decent charging cavalry and approach them intelligently, they may, the bowman may only get one shot off. It can be horrible, but if it isn't, in the open, longbowman could be in trouble, which is historical. Anyway, I think we've possibly gone through as much of, on Matt's list as we're going to. So thank you very much for doing those, Matt, and thank you for doing sort of themed ones for the, 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 the those two first major battles of the Hundred Years' War that Richard covered. Um, and I think that means we move on to Richard, who has a, I suppose, a, 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 a roughly contemporary English army. Yeah, um, which I've had to revise to make legal. <laughs> so I'm not immune to it either. I'm still not sure if it's entirely legal. I've had my thunder uh, stolen. <laughs> anyway, um, so when, when the, we put these up, we'll we'll leave it there for a quiz for the uh, the listeners to go and examine yeah. and see if they can spot the no, potentially illegal. Um, <laughs> so the revised list I've got is actually uh, contains four professional commanders, three competent and one mediocre, um, and has a PBS of seven and a scouting of two as a result. Um, it consists of a unit of six English knights, um, cavalry full loose, average fully armoured, charging lance devastating charges, uh, no melee expert, but um, if you've got the command, charge them in and then pull them out to charge again. It's always an option. So I'm not overly worried about the lack of melee expert. 
unless I'm fighting other knights that do have male expert. Um, along with that, I have two sixes of retinue longbowmen um, with front rank men at arms. So three of them have the male expert, and these are drilled loose, average protected, skilled power bow. Um, along with that, I have two sixes of just ordinary longbowmen. Again, with men at arms, so the average protected experience power bow, and the half of them with the melee expert. These these are formed loose. Uh, along with that, I've gone heavily on the men at arms. So I have three sixes of uh, men at arms. Two are English. One is Gascon. Um, so they're the drilled, formed in the case of the Gascons, average protected. Two annual cut and crush melee experts, a unit of Gascon knights who are tribal loose, superior fully armoured, charging lances and devastating charges, uh, point and shoot, um, a unit of eight crossbowmen, form loose, average protected experience crossbow, um, quite good uh, in my experience on holding uh, a hill or something like that on the flank. And a unit of brigands who are tribal loose average protected pole arm, just a six. And a uh, just to top it off, a unit of skirmishing B days, poor unprotected experience javelin combat shy, mainly to fill up the other 102 points. Um, so, yeah, 12, 12 units, 11 tugs. Um, and I think that could probably take on uh, quite a lot of things. Uh, you need to use the men at arms and longbowmen in combination, in my experience. Um, otherwise, the longbowmen can risk getting run down, um, and the knights can play around the flanks or reserve. Um, yeah, I think I'd, I'd be quite happy to take that against most things. I think. It, by the way, it's supposed to represent a, um, a army setting off from Guyenne. Um, hence the Gascons, presumably. Hence the Gascons. OK, so this. Oh, so a, a bit like the uh, Black Prince's army. Yeah. Right. I quite like this one. It, it, it appeals to be more than the French do, <laughs> the French armies. Um, yeah, yes. Uh, the the ability to have those those small the units of men at arms protected is an interesting option because you know, obviously quite a lot cheaper, but you are giving up a claim against a lot of things. In, indeed, um, but yeah, I mean they. <laughs> They'll they'll still, as I say, I use them in combination with yeah. the longbowmen. Um, so hopefully you can get a bit of shooting on whatever you're facing up front first. I tend to I've, I've deployed them too wide between the longbow units, um, and then uh, you've got a bit of depth to the unit, even though there are sixes, um, and you've got the longbowmen who are also melee expert alongside potentially so uh, 
it's a combination gives people pause for thought i think yeah no it's, it's um no problem with that i i'd have been tempted to give dismountable to those english knights that you'd probably end up downgrading the b days to unskilled javelin i suspect to fit it in it's okay he can save the points by legalizing the gascon knights <laughs> <laughs> you can only have Liga. four you can only have four. Oh, oh okay oops <laughs> I, I said i wasn't sure it was still <laughs> okay well yeah indeed um, yeah. it, my, my experience is with these it. sort of things, you, you either get them right first time or you, you get three or four iterations as you correct errors, put new ones in. Yes. <laughs> as I'm the most guilty of it, I can hardly throw throw stones around here. But uh, We all do it. Everybody yeah. does it. <laughs> Sometimes it's just, you know, you just miss the most obvious things but yeah no i just think because if you dismount those english knights you get you would be able to have one unit that's fully armored although it doesn't have melee experts so again swings and roundabouts but could be useful as a a shooting resistant unit at some point but you know i I don't think it's a biggie by any stretch of the imagination yeah i just think this one's got more flexibility i think hasn't it and the those almost compulsory two units of skilled power bow you know they they can really hurt people the the rate that five base width range for the power bow and you're skilled it is really really good <laughs> yep yeah, some silence there. You can't argue with that statement. I, I was fairly, I was fairly comfortable that statement was a fact. <laughs> I, I think I would agree with that. Yeah, <laughs> I have to say from a rules point of view, I'm not entirely sure it's justified having the extra rain, but <laughs> it's where we are. It's it's there, so use it. It's uh, it is yeah. So, but um, but as I was saying just before we started this, you know, I, I think a well timed mounted attack on the longbowman if they have to fight in the open can take them out but of course that is where you're i suppose you're, you're, you're combining the men-at-arms units with the longbowman units is there to protect them just like the english did yep so that's the idea it's a damn yes are we saying historical tactics work oh don't go that far <laughs> Matt, sorry, I think I've, I've been talking a lot again. You, no, I, I, I find the Hundred Years' War English Army is one of the toughest to field to face in any competition. If they just, they have a synergy about them, particularly with the men at arms being able to go through the um, the bow, makes it very hard to get a good attack on. There is always a counter, and it's very. I'm not saying it's wrong. I mean, they, they, they do suffer sometimes. I think that it's very hard for them to push an attack, depending on what they're facing. So, you know, they don't always get into the top tier. But uh, I think we'll come on to a list that did manage top tier. Before. Well, I was, I was, I was going, to, going to, to lead into this one by ask, asking Richard. I mean, obviously, again, he's, he's gone. I'm basically picking a Poitiers-type army coming from Guyenne. Um, but I was going to note, uh, I think you just hinted at it there, Matt, that... Um, 
last year at BritCon, over uh, our five round competition, um, Dr. Simon Elliott won the whole competition using an early Hundred Years War English, um, of which the English part was just four units of longbowmen, two with the skilled power bow and two without. Um, and then a feudal German ally and a Low Countries ally. Um, I suppose one of the questions I would ask off the back of that is, <laughs> why did it do so well? So I must admit, I remember list checking that and thinking, okay, interesting, but not great. Um, actually, I've often found when I do that, the army then does well. So maybe that tells you something about my judgment I, on armies. I but think also, you'll find I was the only person to fight it who didn't lose. It, quite possibly, Richard, yeah. I was, I was, <laughs> so I was, I'm the wrong person to ask. <laughs> so what no, were you I, I was, using? What did you beat it with? That's probably the more telling. I was I was using um, Tang Chinese. Yeah, oh, I'd put odds yes. on that coming out yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah, that, that that that's probably the counter that you'd want, that, particularly in nice. your hands, because yeah. the number of times you've handed me my head against your Tang. Yeah, yeah, it keeps you both actually. But actually, one question to go ask is is you know those. Not not just because um, Simon Elliott's army did very well. You, know, you can't do better than winning the competition. But just your thoughts on those allies, either one or using them together, you know, and having faced it. Um, yeah, I mean, I I think I I thought Simon's army was okay. I'm not convinced the combination of both allies gives you anything that you particularly spectacular but um uh, I, th I, th I think it's 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 another option to explore frankly when look you looking at early hundred years war english um the i, I personally i wouldn't take it with the allies but um clearly simon's results shows that <laughs> you can do well with well, this is it. You can't argue with that, Matt. Matt yeah, you know, I, I think I I sent you the list earlier. Hopefully, you've had a look at it. What What was your thoughts on it? I I can see why it did well. I can also see why it didn't do so well again. I think what I like about it is you get eighteen fully armored knights, which you can't do in the vanilla hundred years war list. Right. Yes. And I think it's those eighteen. Well, one of which is superior. So you've got to block a six superior in there as well. Uh, it's it's a different take. It, it's more offensive than it is defensive. I, think. I don't know how Simon used it, but I would expect him to be quite aggressive, rough terrain. I think he always uses whatever he uses, isn't he? To be fair, yes. Every time I fought Simon, he's usually over the table edge before I got what, what, halfway over the line before I even <laughs> blink. But um, no, no, he. he, he the combination of skilled and all those knights is an interesting, uh, yeah. As I say, I, I can see why he did well. I'm not sure I could do well with it, quite frankly, because it requires far too much micromanagement, I think, to get yourself in the right place at the right time. Um, I also noticed he's only got 11 cards, which is interesting for an aggressive stance. But it obviously made it work. Yeah, this is it. I mean, so the... the a lot of his aggressive stuff was driven by two allies who were talented. 
I think it, the English was a competent C and C, so I suspect he just blocked move them. Oh. Yeah, and he's got thirty six bases of missile troops. Yeah, plus guns, unskilled poor guns. Bless them. <laughs> I think the Low Country has to have them. <laughs> ah, and it makes him twelve for deployment as well. So that's quite. Yeah. No, it was, it was interesting. It was because it was definitely different because I think the the possibly comment shortly the usual Hundred Years War is a later Hundred Years War with a Burgundian ally. So although it's Hundred Years War, it's a different one. Anyway, we, talking of later Hundred Years War English, shall we move on to one of those since I I have knocked one up. Um, Obviously, this is moving outside of the history Richard covered, but um, as I said, we're covering the sort of the French and the English in this podcast. So, only seemed right to include some a couple of later armies. So, I'm going to do later Hundred Years' War English, and I'll follow this up with a, a French from the later war as well. So, the the later Hundred Years' War English list, uh, lots of similarities with the earlier one. However, it has fewer men at arms available. Um, the for various reasons, um, some societal, um, some financial. The English armies at the time were moving to have more, a higher proportion of bowmen compared to men at arms. Um, so the, so and that's reflected in the list. Um, I said they they can have a Burgundian ally from 1422 to 1431. Um, Richard, no doubt, will cover the history next time which will explain that um but i've not gone with that for this list um i've i thought i well in the spirit of the big battle the big the big headline battles um i'll go for avian core um could have gone for later ones and you know yeah, but being english we tend to ignore the very late ones because we lost um but i could have gone for say vernai yeah. but so we'll go avian core right at the beginning of the list 1415 Henry V. So, the list I've come up for this one, um, I've just gone for three generals. Um, I've gone for a legendary professional CNC and two competent professional subgenerals. Um, legendary, we'll buy into the Henry V myth. Um, and he's certainly very inspiring for, and he's certainly very successful so we can do that but part of the thinking as well was uh, this army is going to have a lot of loose formation troops in it um you know fewer fewer men at arms more longbowmen so i want to have a lot more control over the terrain i want to be i thought i, I want to have that that factor really to be able to dictate it compared to my enemy um, and it's le left me with a PBS of nine because of that um, the army itself I've got a six base unit of English knights uh, formed loose average fully armored charging lancer devastating charges dismountable um, dismountable is partly because it does give me a possibility of another unit of fully armored foot if I want it the two skilled power bow units the same as Richard's um, so each of six bases, half of them have melee expert. Um, an average formed loose experienced power bow version of those. Um, so again, half men at arms, half not. And I've gone for two sixes of just longbowmen, formed loose, average protected experienced power bow. And then two more units of longbowmen, again of six, 
the same, but they're unprotected. You can downgrade some of the longbowmen to longbowmen without armour, so the average unprotected experience power bow. All those longbowmen I've given stakes to, um, partly because that's what was done in the Ashencourt campaign. Um, I have mixed feelings about using stakes, uh, but if you do use them, you've got to use them all. So I went. So there we are. I've given them all stakes. I've got um, the a six base unit of men at arms on foot, drilled close, average fully armoured, two-handed cut and crush melee expert, and a unit of Welsh spearmen. I've got it's a bit in my memory that there were some with the campaign. Um, these are infantry, tribal loose, average, unprotected, short spear, melee expert, fleet of foot, and they're an eight base unit. Two units of skirmishers, Irish Kearns and Breton Javelinmen, infantry skirmisher, average unprotected, experienced javelin combat shy, both sixes. And by having those 12 bases, that tipped me over to a scouting of three as well. So you get a combination of the, the skirmishers, the knights and the legendary general. It's a, it's a that, That's a pretty high scouting for these sort of armies, in my view. So there we are. So this is a big shooty army, big foot shooty army. You know, we've got um, seven units, each of six bases of longbowmen, um, of which two of those units are skilled. Um, they do all have stakes, so if they're out in the open against mounted, the stakes can go down. And obviously the drilled ones um, are better at putting the stakes down than the formed ones, and you can if I remember I got my rules right do a double move a move and deploy your stakes with the drilled you can indeed especially as you can shoot from five base widths away um, obviously the experienced the uh, formed loose ones can't do that so you, you have decisions to make there um, I've got the two units of unprotected longbowmen who I think will be are likely to want I'd want to use them as supports for the other ones. Um, try not to get them shot at by, you know, if you become a French army, it's got lots of shooters. Um, you'd hope to take the shooting with something with more armour and use those to add extra shooting. But again, the power bow, so they can shoot from that f further distance and may be able to shoot without being shot back at. And this is an absolute bonus. This army came in at exactly 10,000 points, assuming it's legal. And as this podcast, we're not having a great, <laughs> a great rate of <laughs> legal lists at the moment. So somebody may come and go, oh, hang on. <laughs> that isn't. So, you know, in terms of manoeuvrability, only, yeah, obviously the, the retinue um, longbowmen who are drilled are pretty nippy. The cavalry are as well. And oddly, because I have used something, have used these in an army or something similar. The Welsh spearmen, although they're tribal loose, they're fleet of foot and can occasionally just insert themselves from four base widths away into some really annoying position for the enemy. Ideally, a flank, of course. So anyway, that was my sort of Agincourt campaign, later Hundred Years' War English. I'll throw it open to the floor. I'd be spitting teeth if I brought one of my mounted armies and then you actually brought stakes with a hundred years war English army. I'd, I'd just give up at that point and be like, really? Nobody brings stakes in a hundred years war English army. I have to have to say, having fitted them in with a PBS of nine and scouting of three, I've, I might be changing my mind on stakes. <laughs> yeah, no, um, 
well, you, you hit the 10,000 points exactly. You've got a legendary general. You've got three scouting in a hundred years war English army, which is pretty much you know, unheard of. So what's not to love? And frankly, <laughs> I mean, I, I bang on about it every time, but you know, having been outscouted by a two card hundred years war army with early Lithuanians, which by the way, had a PBS of nine and a scouting of seven. <laughs> not that I'm bitter. <laughs> not that I'm bitter. That was the competition where they got outscouted by everybody. I didn't outscout anybody in the entire competition. That it was early Lithuania. You just sit there and go, if I can't. And that's when I revised my scouting method. I thought, well, sod it. I don't care what the scouting is anymore. It's all in the cards. But uh, I digress. Sorry. Uh, no, I really like that, Nick. And the Welsh Spearmen are a must, as far as I'm concerned. They're, they're just one of those units. People go, no, nah, whatever. They're, they're, they're filler. And then, as you say, you suddenly insert them somewhere and they go, oh. That's just annoyed me, you know. So you know, really good. Yeah. No, I can't, can't, can't fault that at all. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I thought you'd overdone it with a legendary professional general, but the more I look at it, the more I think, actually, you know what? No, that really does work quite well. Yeah. It's there's, there's a couple of things I thought about that. Although I like those Welsh spearmen, if you dropped them, you could have another competent professional. You could have a mediocre professional general added into that to have 13 cards. Do you care, though? I mean, no, I, mean, I, I probably what? I probably wouldn't. But if you were if you were that way inclined and you could yeah. certainly get that general, I suspect, if you dropped all the stakes. But I think that. Oh, yeah, they're 10 points each, aren't they? Yeah. 10 points. Or it's 10 points. Yeah, they're 10 it's, points yeah, each. So. 10 points each. You're talking 60 points per per unit. But, you know, obviously I was going with the, the Ashen Core thing. And as I said, you know, balance of the army, I'm, uh, I might be changing my mind on stakes. I might have to go and buy some models, having sold my old ones. <laughs> when I sold my previous incarnation of my Edward the Fourth army. I, I, I spent a very long time with wooden toothpicks and just you know, cutting and sharpening and sticking them in the bases. So they work quite well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Hello, Richard. Yeah. Um, oh, he's easy. Right. He starts off a year again. I want a foot off. army, um, preferably one with lots of uh, uh, devastating charges um, who can, and flexible, I suspect. Um, yeah, I wouldn't like to f use this to face against, say, um, uh, 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 a Catalan company in Anatolia. Superior Almugavars. Aren't they aren't they the unprotected ones? They are. Yeah, that, that's I, that's I, your save that's your saving grace. But I've 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 uh, I, I think I'd worry more about the ones in Greece who are protected. Um I I've used the the unprotected ones to run over all the longbowmen in an army Robin used. Again, because of the fleet of foot, if you play it cannily, they'll only shoot you once. Yeah. Yep. And then you and then you hit Fair them enough. on red dice. I th I think if it was an open competition and somebody turned up with early Imperial Roman, they'd probably upset your day and all. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's something of this one, a bit possibly a bit like the other ones. It's really with an eye to in theme. You use one of the other options, say with the Burgundian ally, in a more open competition. There's reasons it's popular. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Sorry, Richard, you were saying. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, um, 
So I, yeah, I, I think it's a bit, it's it's inevitably a bit one-dimensional, particularly when you take the stakes. You're fearsome against mounted and um, vulnerable if you get a big foot army. Um, I mean, the, the, if you want to be accurate for Asian Corps, you probably need a lot, a lot of the troops downgraded in quality because of the um, illness that was throughout the English army at the time. And you want to stick them behind some rough or boggy, even difficult going. You might even regard the muddy fields as marsh. Um, and then have an opponent who charges straight at you. Um, <laughs> it's always very difficult to sort out in the rules. Yep. Um, yeah, getting a cooperative opponent is is often the trickiest part. Yes, it, it would take a brave person to downgrade their quality from average to poor. Um, you get a big army, which again wouldn't be terribly historical. <laughs> so, you get an awful look. That would be scary again for mounted armies. Poor, uh, downgrade all the longbowmen to poor and then have them behind stakes with even more power bow. You could effectively probably say all those longbowmen units in this army become eight. I don't think the list allows you, but. <laughs> no, it would be about that. It, yeah, that would be behind stakes. Oh, we're poor. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> well, I, I think you've got all bar 12 of the longbowmen allowed in the list anyway, haven't you? Uh, it's close. Yeah, but that's that's another tug or two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah you, you could bulk it out. You you would you possibly would want another general in that. But uh, of course, your scenario has a cooperative opponent, so you wouldn't actually have to manoeuvre. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> yeah. Who brings all mounted as well? Just a just, yeah. a, just a icing. Oh, well, you see, I, the, the, the thing that you remember, Agincourt, most of the French were still on foot. All right. There so two you, attacks you, on what you're wing. relying on is me charging my mounted through my foot to get to your longbowman. Is what always helps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, as I say, fully armoured foot advancing through a marsh against longbowmen, probably. Yeah, I think that sort of harks back to the uh, the last two podcasts we did about um, specific historical battle refights, isn't it? You'd have to really set that up very much as that. You, you, you're not going to get anything like that in a in in a, in a equal points competition type game. Uh, Maybe fully armoured should count Marsh's swarm. Ooh. Uh, Cab test every turn you move. Ooh. Oh dear, oh dear. <laughs> and you're only moving two. Yeah. yeah. And for some reason, you are forced to advance. <laughs> it just gets worse, well, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, you either stand there whilst you get peppered by longbow arrows and hope they eventually run out of them, or yeah. Yeah. You try and kill yourself by advancing. <laughs> yes. So advance your army and see if it can actually die before it gets into contact through accumulated shooting and cabs for marching through a, moving through a swamp. That would be quite something to see. Uh, that would bring tears of frustration to you, wouldn't it? That's yeah, probably how it possibly, felt at Agincourt. Yeah. Possibly best as some sort of pre-programmed solo game. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it would be fun to be moving the French in that situation. 
Well, not the way I throw dice, particularly when it's my casualties. Okie dokie. So that one, yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's a very specific army, isn't it? It's uh, it's, it's very much a working theme, a bit ropey outside. But uh, but it was nice to get to exactly 10,000 points. Okay, on to the, the, the last list for for this podcast, probably. Um, as I said, I'd do another French one. This is for right at the end of the war, really. So I'm going for French ordinance. Um, the French finally got their act together. They reformed their army and kicked the English out of France because of it. Um, well, one of the reasons, anyway. So I thought I'd do an army for right at the end of the war um, from the French ordnance list. Um, now the French ordnance list is definitely turning into what it's getting close to the armies that start appearing in the Italian war supplement. There's a couple of these at the end of the Valois list. Um, the cavalry pick up armoured horse, um, and which I think is it's not coincidental that by the end of the Hundred Years' War and afterwards, cavalry made a significant reappearance on the battlefields of Europe. Um, cavalrymen started fighting mounted again a lot more than they had done in the Hundred Years' War, where they'd jumped off their horses because of the English longbowmen, and that had become a very typical way of fighting. So you get French cavalry who are on armoured horses, which really, really blunts even longbowmen shooting at them. Um, they also, the French also introduced quite a lot of longbowmen, their own longbowmen into the army. Um, the, you know, every every knight had to be accompanied by a valet and archers. Um, so, you know, they wanted to fight fire with fire. Um, so as well as their improved cavalry, they had archers who they hoped could shoot you know, shoot on equal terms with the English. And then they had the, the, a lot of the similar sort of troops they'd had before, but these more professional troops, but the ordnance companies um, became the core of the army. So it's, in some ways, it's, it's got some real differences from the earlier ones, but it, as you'll see from this list, you can come up with something that's actually quite similar, but will probably play in a different way. Anyway, enough of this. Um, I, it's all, Another change, actually, is because it, beca it becomes a lot more professional. And the list reflects this by having professional generals instead of instinctive. So I've got four generals, a competent CNC, a talented subby and two mediocre subbies, um, which left me with a PBS of seven. I've gone for three units of cavalry. These are half men-at-arms and half custillier. Um, the two of the units are fours and one unit is a six. The ordnance men at arms part of it are drilled close, superior, armoured horse, fully armoured, charging lancer, devastating charges, dismountable melee expert. Ooh, 276 points a base. Lovely. The second rank, the Custiliers, are also drilled close. They're average. They're also fully armoured, but don't have the armoured horse. And their devastating charges, dismountable melee expert. Um, an interesting point in the list that if these troops dismount, they all dismount as fully armoured. Um, that's 
that note is important because instead of having the fully armoured custiliers, which I've got in this list, you could have the second rank as valet de guerre, who would just be protected. Um, so somewhat cheaper, but would still dismount as fully armoured if you dismounted them. So, which is a nice, which is a nice trick, uh, but obviously they're less useful as a second rank when mounted. And because of that, I've gone for fully armoured custiliers for all of those. So that's so it says a six base unit, two four base units, front rank superior, second round average. I've gone for two units of the ordnance archers, drilled loose, average protected, experienced power bow, an eight and a six. Two units of crossbowmen, um, as other French armies form loose, average protected, experienced crossbow, two sixes. Two units of spearmen. Uh, these were a bit of a, mm, well, I need to build bulk out the army a bit. Formed close, average protected, short spear, shield wall, an eight and a six. Um, in all honesty, there, there was a bit of bulk and the old mobile terrain feature. Um, this bung up something for a while. The shield wall helps if they're charged by something that's got charging lancers or mounted melee expert, but I wouldn't expect them to be doing too much. Um, later on in the list, the French can have some better infantry, but not at this point. They get some Swiss pikemen. I think, so that's nine tugs. I've gone for four sugs, a unit of skirmishing crossbowmen, infantry skirmishers, poor and protected, experienced crossbow combat shy, a six. And then I've gone for the other the other thing that the, the French Ordnance Army went for. They got big into guns and cannons. It was a big thing. And as the English found out, I think, is it Castillon, where Talbot was somehow induced to charge a fortified French camp that was bristling with cannons? That ended badly and pretty much ended the Hundred Years' War. <laughs> the English were finally fully kicked out of France and, and Talbot was killed. You're, uh, you're giving away the ending. Oh, I think <laughs> I'm assuming people do know that. <laughs> so anyway, I've got for a big chunk of artillery in this. You know, the, the, the list can actually have nine bases of artillery. Um, <laughs> um, of which six can be actually be upgraded to full cannon size, but I haven't done that. Anyway, I've gone for two threes of guns, light artillery, average unprotected, experienced guns, barricades, combat shy. Say so two threes of those and a two base unit of cannons, heavy artillery, average unprotected, experienced cannons, barricades, combat shy. Now obviously, they'll have to go down first, but that's eight bases of artillery behind barricades. Um, kept them all average. Actually, actually, because of a quirk in the points, there's no point in downgrading light artillery anyway. Uh, it doesn't change the points, and you only get a very minor points reduction on the cannons. So, yeah, that keep... is intentional. Uh, absolutely. Otherwise, it would be <laughs> a bit An obvious, bit obvious thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, and and people did do it. So you know. So, but because they're behind barricades, they're not blown up if a tug gets into them. They're still average. So they could even hang around and all those nasty cabs and stuff that people get for charging guns and cannon. So there we are. I mean, one thing with this army, you, in a way, you, you, you're hoping to try and get people to force them in some way to get in front of the artillery, at least possibly even charge the artillery, because that can be pretty horrible for them. Um, 
The Ordnance Men at Arms and Custiliers provide a mounted punch. Um, and the, you've got four other units of infantry shooters. So there you are. I must admit, after coming up with it, I'm not entirely sure how I'd use it. Oh, it's got a cat scouting of two, which is you know, sort of averageish for this sort of thing. Anyway, there we go. Stun side. Yeah, um, I'm 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 not a fan of artillery behind barricades. Um, I actually, when I actually took the guns, admittedly it was a later French ordnance. I actually didn't bother with the barricades, and actually used them quite aggressively moving forward, so that my opponent was sort of forced to um, come and get me, and that seemed to work quite well. Yeah, I mean the the knights are super tough. Um, I just don't think you've quite got enough punch, really. I think the later French ordnance with the better foot is better, be my own view. But, um, oh, I think I concur with that. You know, you can you can add a Swiss ally, or you can have some internal Swiss and pikemen. Indeed. So. Which I used to effect and to win the Magna Championships. So. Oh, right, there we are. That's, again, a winning army. As we said, Simon Elliott, you can't, you can't argue with a winning army in any ways, can you? So, yeah. Matt? Um, yeah, I'm, I've, I've played around with this version of the French Ordnance quite a bit, and it's less than its whole, I've found. I find the, the power bow look nice, but they die. They're very <laughs> hard to keep alive. If you want to use them aggressively, you just, as, as, as Richard said, you, you just don't got enough punch. Um, uh, yeah, it is what it is. Um, I like the guns, but because they look pretty, quite frankly, and you know, some people do their nut when you put down eight guns. They just <laughs> their brain stops working, which is always a well, good thing when your opponent has a moment. Yeah, that helped me a great deal in the magnet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, th think about Richard's comment about not using the barricades with the guns. I suspect if you lost the barricades, you'd probably get a reasonable amount of points back because the barricades are actually quite expensive. You might be able to do something with the infantry. You'd give the archers stakes for a start if you're worried about them being run over by a mountain. Yeah. And again, the, the drills. Have to have, the cannons have to have them. The guns would save you 32 points per gun. So. And there's six of them. So, yeah, yeah. Um, as a slight aside, I, I remember it coming up. Somebody was talking about French ordnance, um, and this list has reminded me where you have superior front rank and average back rank. If you chose to downgrade your front rank to average, so your ordnance knights became average rather than you know, save yourself mm. some points, your back rank becomes poor. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm not sure everybody is aware of that one. It's that you downgrade the entire tug. It's not. You can't yeah. just do the front rank, so um, it's, I just thought I'd call it out as one of those random quirks yeah. that people might not be aware of. I think that one came to light with the later Hundred Years' War English with the Burgundian ally. I think that I might be wrong, but because that, that they have, could night, be, yeah. they have. I think they've got or can have a, a split thing anyway. But but yes, no, you're quite right. Yeah, so so yeah, you, yes, I'm sure I, I did wonder about that. Oh, I could downgrade the the front rank to average. Oh, the second rank goes to poor, you know. And 
and if I have even having the average can be a problem in that if you have a cab you have to do it on the the worst quality yeah there, there is almost an argument for um taking the um italian ally rather than the ordnance knights because they are all average and it's pretty much the same if you don't want superior you can do it with the ally um nick with your french ordnance did you consider use, using pikemen rather than spearmen because you allowed uh, them from 1466 aren't you Oh, I suppose yeah. you went an earlier army, yeah. I, 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 try, I wanted to stay within the, the um, 100, 100 Years, years war. war. Yeah, no, if, if I was enough. just looking at a French ordinance, I would have two units of average protected pike <laughs> in there and, and lose something else along the way. You know, those spearmen wouldn't be there. They would be pikemen. Well, you, can, you can't have the spearmen after 1466. <laughs> yeah, so I, suppose, I suppose it's if you regarded with the force campaign, um, in um what was 1470s as uh, an extension of the hundred years war <laughs> <laughs> i thought i'd stick to the traditional <laughs> well arguably the um uh, french kings supporting henry tudor in um taking the throne of england was uh, a further well, extension of the hundred yeah, years war indeed if, if i remember rightly as well the arms of France were only removed from the British royal standard by was it the Treaty of London in the Napoleonic Wars? It is certainly, I think, 18th century or something. 18th, yeah. 19, early 19th century. 19th. So <laughs> we, we could stretch it to the <laughs> French Revolutionary Wars at least. <laughs> Might be pushing it. But yeah, but yeah, no, I think it comes back to that point you made, Richard. I think the French ordinance gets better when you get past that 1466. Yeah. You know, you, you know, or maybe 1465 yeah. when a rebel army can have Swiss allies. So. Indeed. Um, yeah, and again, the Milanese only become available from in 1466. Yeah, oh, that's the, true. Yes, yeah. Is, yeah. yeah. So I, I want to keep it within the the thing. So, yeah. So. Again, possibly a bit of a between us, a bit of a mm, army. <laughs> we're not we're not widely enthusiastic about it. Um, I think maybe just shows the challenges of of, of the Hundred Years War lists. Yeah, I think it's um, yeah. It, it, it's one of it was certainly trying to construct the list. It's one of the more challenging periods. In fact, it's a challenging period for rule writers as well. Yeah, but I think we've, we've, we've said already in this podcast, I think probably the, the most popular Hundred Years War army is the later Hundred Years War English with a Burgundian ally, which gets a unit of knights or knights and custilios, perhaps, who can dismount as fully armoured trying to crush, two units of pikemen and a unit of crossbowmen, I believe, is the standard. <laughs> Yeah. And that gets bolted onto English with the you know, the two skilled power bows, a couple of other ones, and some other infantry, depending on your taste. And that, and that that seems to work quite effectively because I, I think the pikemen in there make quite a bit of difference. It gets more fighty. It can stand up to more to more different armies.
I'd agree so, with that. Yeah. Okay. I, oh, sorry, Matt. No, I was just going to say, faced enough of them in competition to thoroughly respect that version of the list. Yeah, yeah. It's it's yeah. I, I fought quite a few. Not lost to very many. <laughs> I have to say, but I'm not sure I've beaten very many. I suspect yeah, I had a lot of that's... draws, especially if I'm using a, a mounted type army. Yeah, but it, it's one of those things. Okay, I think we've probably, we've probably done those lists to death now. Um, and possibly, I don't know, I don't, I don't know which we say was the most popular. <laughs> I'm not sure. We'll just leave them as they are. We won't say that. So um, we'll put, obviously put those lists will be up on the, the blog and the supporting material. Um, I think for reading references, we'll wait until the second podcast has been done and do a sort of a whole hundred years war one on that. And possibly the same for figures as well so do it in one big hit um i'm sure we'd be interested to see people's comments on these lists and improved variants <laughs> <laughs> that might excite us who knows so i think we've so we've covered that so um we come to us with the traditional any other mega business um I think we're all at devices week Friday. Well, week week this weekend. Sometimes um, it? it'll be uh, uh, it'll be after a week after this podcast goes live. I suspect, yeah, fifteenth, sixteenth of July, and then after that, Richard, that's when you go on your Anabasis to Historicon, isn't it? Indeed, I look forward to meeting make players in America. Yeah. So, you know, and if they've got any ideas for podcasts in the future, they can tell you then. Indeed. So, yeah. And after Devisors and when Richard's back, um, there will we will hopefully do the second part of this Hundred Years War miniseries. And in terms of competitions, obviously, mid-August, BritCon. Um, open 10,000 point competi Maximus competition. There is no limit on spaces. So if you haven't entered and are interested, get along, put an entry in. Um, I think the BHS take entries up till really quite late, although it's better for list checking if we get them in a bit earlier, because uh, Matt, you're list checking for that one, aren't you? I am, and bless Robin, he got the first list in beginning of this week. So Robin Robin gets a gold star, particularly as his list was right on the first, first attempt. So. Blimey. <laughs> it's it's an omen. I'm not sure. It's, what, it's, but... a, it's an omen. That is rather Robin. Only list in, first list in, right first time. Plows on and wins the competition. Yeah. Anybody giving That's... me any odds on that? That 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 will be me thinking an alien's taken over Robin's body. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. He, he's a broad. Most unkind of me. <laughs> it's all right. It's a broad drinking sangria or something on a yacht. So <laughs> that's why he put his list in, wasn't he? he couldn't remember the date, so he, he got it in before he he went on holiday. So actually, it's a big thank you to Robin for that for, <laughs> for having the consideration to, if you weren't certain, send it in earlier rather than later. Absolutely. I am of course dithering as usual. <laughs> I'll expect your um, Sultanate of Rum list at any time in the next. I'm not weeks, going so. to take Sultanate of <laughs> Rum this year. Honest, Gov. So I'll send it in next week, shall I? 
<laughs> I really have got it's open competition. I'd never have a clue. I'd never have a clue. At some point, I'll just go, oh, sod it, that one's going in. <laughs> so that, yeah. Okay, so gents, as ever, thank you very much for that. Hopefully, you, the listener, will have enjoyed this and we'll be looking forward to the second part where we will look at, as I said, some of the other participants. No doubt we will cover the Iberian Peninsula. Um, maybe even some other armies in Britain and we'll have a look around to see what else we can find out there who are taking part in what you might call the wider Hundred Years War. So until next time, thank you very much for listening. Enjoy your games. Hopefully might see some of you soon. <laughs>